Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside, just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10,000 pin and a 19,000 pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Right, folks thank you for tuning in to another episode of bucks of america podcast i am your host jeff fans tonight's episode is pretty remarkable i have the legend himself chris ham and we're going to be breaking down his experience or his history with this legendary buck he called houdini now he's been hunting this buck for three years and that's about about as much as i know about it but he everything came together on september 28th 
and the rest is now history. So I'm going to stop rambling. I'm let Chris break down his the beginning of the history with Houdini starting three years ago. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on and allowing me to tell the story. And I'm going to just say that I am I am not a legend. This deer might be a legend, but I'm I'm anything but legendary. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to just dispel that rumor right out of the right out of the gates. But um, no, it uh, I, I'm still kind of in pinch me mode. I've you know fielding phone calls and and text messages and social media messages. Not that I'm a I'm a celebrity by any stretch, but I have a lot of friends in the industry and friends that I've met through the HHA family. So um, it's been cool. It, uh, yeah, still, still kind of in disbelief. It's, it ended up being what I think, uh, was a six and a half year old deer, which whether you're in central Wisconsin or Iowa or Illinois or wherever, I mean, that's a, that's a mature buck. It's taken me 35 years of bow hunting to, to put a deer like that on the ground. So what a, what a blessing it was to number one, just to have an animal of that magnitude, you know, traveling and living on my property for the last three years, and the the trail cam photos, the encounters I had with this deer, uh, just a lot to lot to unpack. So I mean, uh, I guess to start out, I'll go back to 20, 2018 was the first time I had pictures of this deer on camera, and I believe at that point he was a he was basically a, a two and a half year old ten point with with split G two. So he was basically a twelve point deer at at two years of age, very good genetics. Uh, pretty distinct genetics. There, there's a lot of deer in our area. Uh, either the neighbors have killed or I've had on camera that you could tell there's a there's a lineage there of this of this buck. And now, uh, cool thing, and with with taking three years to harvest him, he's been able to breed on my property for the last three years. So I'm going to have a lot of hopefully uh, Houdini Juniors running around that I'll get to chase, you know, in, in 2023 and beyond. So, but having that deer on camera in 2020, uh, 2018. Uh, I don't need, I don't think I saw the deer that year. I just had pictures of him on camera. So then we'll fast forward to 2019. Uh, I had, uh, he was gone. I, I didn't know where he went, but I had a really, really nice mature 10 point show up on camera that looked to be probably a four-year-old deer. Um, had six encounters with that buck during the 28, 2019 archery season. Closest I had him was at 50 yards. Uh, but he was chasing a doe out in one of my food plots during the rut one night and, and, and just no, no shot opportunity. And so uh, to back up to July of that year, my, my father who founded HHA sports passed away at 82 years of age uh, on July 3rd of that year. And the, the importance of that connection there is that, that uh, we're, we're going to fast forward now back to uh, opening day of rifle season, 2019, uh, I, I don't have a lot of mature deer on the wall. And at that point, my my pride in having to put that deer on the ground with a bow was gone. And, and I knew that he was living there. And so I decided to to go after that that 10 point buck with, with a rifle. And we had a gun, my dad had a gun, a 30-06, Winchester 30-06 that we had acquired back in the early 90s from a archery and gun dealer that had gone out of business. And they had uh, they were, they were inventory rich and cash poor. So they had no, no paper money to pay us with, but they had product on the shelf. So our sales rep went in there and, and basically worked out a, a trade with them to acquire this, this 30 odd six with a, with a Tasco pronghorn scope on it. And so, uh, I went out the week before rifle season and sighted that in and lo and behold, opening night, about 15 minutes before closing time, this, this 10 point buck steps out at 140 yards in front of my, my redneck ground blind. And, and after the, after the Elvis shakes got over, I was able to settle the, settle the crosshairs on him. And, and, uh, my biggest buck to date, that ended up being 153 inch deer that wow. I was able to take with my rifle, uh, with a very meaningful rifle to me. So that, I had gotten out of gun hunting for a lot of years, just being an archery guy. I love archery hunting. I just love being out there, you know, when the leaves are turning and, uh, and something about getting close to an animal. I love that. Um, but, but shooting that deer with, with my dad's rifle kind of relit my, my passion just for hunting in general and for rifle hunting. And so I ended up, I think I took, I think I took two does that year with that gun. And then 2020, I was able to take a, a decent nine point with a gun and another doe. And then last year I shot a decent eight point and another doe. So I think I had killed, I think I had killed seven or eight deer with a gun 
um, had not harvested a deer with a bow since 2017 up until, you know, a few weeks back. So um, kind of a long story here. So you're, you're probably thinking, well, where was Houdini in all this? So I, I thought he was just gone. You know, this this 150 inch buck moved into my property, um, chased this other deer off. I thought I'd never see him again. Well, fast forward to June of 2020, uh, I start checking camera cards and I recognize the steer. I'm like, hey, this is that that 12 point from two years ago. Well, now he's a he's a four year old deer. He's got 14 points. He's starting to develop a bunch of junk down on his brow tines and, and a very, very mature deer. And uh, so obviously very excited. And I, this is really the first deer. I have 160 acres here in central Wisconsin. And so I haven't really had the, uh, I'm going to say the luxury of having the same deer on my property year after year after year. And, and, you know, we had owned 80 acres, then acquired the neighboring 80. So I've really been able to manage that over the last half dozen years, put in food plots, put in crops, bedding areas, um, ponds. I mean, I basically have a, a utopia for for white-tailed deer and I'm the only one that hunts it so this deer shows back up uh and I believe so that would have been 2020 uh saw him a couple times but no no encounters uh close enough to to get a shot either in in uh archery season I never saw him during the gun season so he was pretty much under the radar and kind of living up to this Houdini nickname uh and so then fast forward to 2021 uh, summer of 21. Again, he's back. I've got pictures of him. He's bigger than ever now, probably a five and a half year old deer. Ended up seeing him. Uh, I think it was, it was Halloween of 2021. I was out hunting on my, my South 80 and he showed up on my North 80 at noon on Halloween. So I knew he was on his feet. I wasn't feeling the best when I went out in the woods that day, but I'm like, ah, this must be a little, little bug. And, uh, and went out and hunted anyway wake up on the morning of November 1st and feel terrible. Well, unfortunately came down with COVID for two and a half weeks. And so I missed the entire, the entire rut. I, I had hunted a little bit early season and had no, no opportunity to get out and hunt uh, up until I think the Thursday before rifle season, I was finally starting to feel a little better hunted Thursday and Friday, no sightings of this buck. Um, go out rifle season, end up shooting a, a decent eight point just because I had limited time to obviously hunt during the archery season. And, and this was a, this was a decent deer. It ended up being like a five or a six year old eight point that was just an older mature deer and wasn't going to develop a very large rack, but he was a, he was a nice buck. And uh, so that was, that was that, that got us to, to December of 2021 after the you know, the gun seasons are now over. Now it's late archery season. I still have standing soybeans on my property and Houdini had successfully made it through the, the gun season. So he, he survived yet again, uh, ended up seeing him four times in six nights in January. So our season here, we're not in a metro area. So I think our, our archery season ended on January, I think it was the 9th. And so January, the night of uh, Friday, January 7th, I had him come out at 15 yards. I was hunting in a pop-up ground blind. I, I uh, had not yet put a, a redneck blind over there. So I was just kind of leapfrogging around in a pop-up ground blind and cold night, you know, single digits sitting there kind of in the fetal position, trying to stay warm a half hour before dark. I look up and, and I'm looking face to face with this, with this 160 plus inch deer at 15 yards. And so uh, you know, try to play the cat and mouse game to, to grab my, you know, I, I shoot a Matthews bow. So I've got the limb legs on it. The bow is standing two feet in front of me and I'm, I'm trying to slowly grab my bow, get hooked up, come to full draw. And, and that time he's, he's feeding out into the beans. Uh, you know, now he's probably about 25 yards. I just got to full draw and I see movement out of the corner of my eye. And it was another, it was an eight point buck. I think I ended up finding his shed later in the, in the winter, but he had spotted me completing my draw cycle, didn't like it, spooked, took off, takes Houdini with him. So now, and the only reason I knew this is because there was a birch tree on the edge of my food plot. Houdini is now at 40 yards. I'm at full draw with my pin set at 20. <laughs> and this was, it, it's funny because, you know, we, you know, being one of the owners of HHA, I've had a lot of questions over the years. Well, what happens when a deer moves? You know, what if you have your sight set at 20 and a deer moves off to 40? 
25 years, it had never happened to me. And now on the biggest buck of my life, I'm now experiencing that what if moment. And I mean, I shoot a lot. You you and I see each other out on the HHA USA, you know, circuit. I, I do a lot of 3D shooting, you know, on those those events and, and shoot a lot in my yard in the summer. And and I practice a lot, but I don't typically practice shooting at a 40 yard target with my pin at 20. And and I probably shouldn't have taken the shot, but I did. And it was a clean miss shot right underneath him. Good. And so, uh, you know, an hour later, he shows up on one of my, one of my trail cameras off on my, on my big field. So I knew he was, he was fine. Uh, disappointed, disappointed that, you know, three years of, of chasing this deer now culminated in a, in a miss. And it was funny because I remember sitting in the blind, I wasn't fuming mad. I was just more disappointed and let down. And there was, there was four words that came to my mind and that was patience practice, perseverance, and preparation. And it was like, it's kind of a gift from God, I'm going to call it, because, you know, something that you probably typically don't think about, you know, if anything, you're, you're fuming mad, you're going to get out, find your arrow, and, you know, maybe go back after him again. But being two days left in the season, I knew that I'd blown my opportunity for the year. So I, I wrote those four words down, and I put them on a post-it note and hung them on my computer screen. Okay. And it, and they've been there for the last nine months. And so um, I should probably come up for air and let you maybe ask some questions or something. I've kind of told the, I, I've gotten us to to January of, uh, of 2022. So that's kind of the, that's the five-year history of Houdini up until, up until January of this year. No, I was just sitting back listening because you were articulating everything in such a way. That it's like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to let him continue talking about his story because it doesn't, I don't need to intervene in something so magical as this because I recently had an experience here. Well, I, t I texted you that night when I shot that doe and I told myself that I'm going to shoot whatever God presents me. And I did. And it's like, I had three deer encounters. None of them were, which were in shooting range or, or, or even an ethical shot. Cause I had one deer, I was sitting on an old logging road about 20 yards up. 20 yards back on on a tree stand that was left out on public land and i've known I've, I, there's deer sign all over the place and i spoke and i was uh on the way to that tree, tree stand because i've spotted it during turkey season oddly enough so i booked I, I marked it on my onyx map so i know i was like well i'm gonna go back there just kind of see what all goes through there and it's like well because there's a nice trail and like we all understand that white tails tend to be a little lazy and it's like and if a human's not going to walk it a white tail's not going to walk it because there's there's they're they're just very uh they want to do less is more type attitude because they don't want to exert so much energy because they live out in the wilderness all day and out well my first encounter i just caught the tail end of adele walking into a bed or walking out of a bed then going through a little meadow and then going off to get some body water my second encounter was is doe walking uphill but there were so many branches that are crisscrossed so there's no way i was going to be able to pull off a shot because even if i even you know, my windows were a 12 by 12 spot and it's like and even still with the arrow arc shooting uh brian austin's uh course this past season you still have the opportunity of that arrow going up and not and hitting a branch on the way down or on the way up it's hitting a branch and just stopping so it's like well there's no sense in pulling that off and i had a doe i ranged out a whole bunch of spots and i, I knew when she landed where i shot her at 20 yards and so I, I put my pin right on her heart. And when I, when I drew back and it's like, and I follow all the way through and I watched it through my peep and I watched that arrow go straight through her. And I see the arrow flashing. My thing is like, oh, sweet. This is going to be an easy find. Cause it's like, she took off about 40 yards and then I lost her. So it's like, all right, well, you know, at least I know the last point of reference. And when I got to that one spot after I claimed my arrow, called up a friend of mine, Ryan Woodhouse, which lives local in the, in the, in the area there. And he came out and was like, hey, I'll come on, help you. I can't pull anything or, or help you drag her out, but it's like, I'll hold your bow. It's like, it's perfect. That's where it makes perfect sense. It's like, awesome. So he, he came out and then I, I was on the, I was, I stayed up in the tree stand until dark because I've been in situations where I'll have other, other does or other, other white tails show up. So it's like, well, what, why, what better an opportunity to try to double up on one night if possible? So I waited there, and he was still 45 minutes to an hour out before he was going to be able to get to where I was at. So, all right, well, so now from from when I shot her to when I got down from stand was over 45 minutes long. So it's like, all right, got down, walked down, got everything, got picked up my arrow, took some footage of it, 
All right. So then I just kind of trailed where I where she where I knew she took off to where my last spot was. And sure enough, I found this nice, beautiful splat of blood, which is I posted on social media, sent it to you and several others because I was pretty pumped about it. It's like, this is really good blood sign. Waited for Ryan to show up and he took him a while to get to where I was at because he had to. It's it was not an easy process to get there. It is it is a very thick piece of property then it's like it makes sense why this tree stand is there on public land now for those who are listening to it like most places you have to remove tree stands off public land well scott walker before he left office he passed it into into law where now you can leave them on there. you don't have to take them down but you're supposed to remove it at the end of the season so it's like well it's not mine so it's like well it, it's still up there so all right well it is what it is straps are still good i'm going to use it ryan gets there we track her, and we track her for well over 100 yards, seeing blood spots all over the place. I mean, really good, but she never laid down. She just kept running. And as we can, can you go down to a body of water? She crosses this little creek, and the blood gets even thinner and thinner and thinner. And we, and then he brings out another buddy of his to help us look for it. So there's there's th- uh, three sets of eyes looking for it. We're going all over the place for it. I and mean, if I hit her in a, in a spot where I thought we did, because I told her I hit him right in the, right in the brisket, right in the heart area. But it's like it's such a small area. Then you're talking a very small broadhead. It's gonna have adds. There's a lot of room on a doe when you're looking at with the, just a small micro diameter shaft that I had won from one of the HHA uh, events. And we didn't find her that night. We spent four or five hours looking for. Her. Then my wife and I went out the next day. And we were about ready to call it quits, but it's like I said, like I'm fine. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna walk up this ridge, and there it is. There's I, from the last spot, 70 yards away, I found another spot of blood, and then I tracked it for another 110 yards, and nothing like that. So we kind of all figured out that shot in the brisket, but the the emotional roller coaster of that is just it's 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 heart wrenching as a hunter because it's like you 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 put all this time shooting. Pretty much every weekend since May, and it just how it goes. But luckily, based off of my conversation with Matt, he was telling me it's like you probably shot in the brisket, so she's probably going to heal. And like looking at some um, uh, QDMA uh, maps, stuff like that, where people have shot, and then like kind of giving a historic history behind it that like most likely it will survive. Or some coyotes are going to eat like kings because we heard two uh, two packs of coyotes go off at two at about ten o'clock at night. So it's like well. Either way, it's going to complete the circle of life. So, so I took that. This it's been a week since I've been out in a tree stand and ha- held my bow because I spent that time out there uh, out in Okaboji fishing. But it's just it's just frustrating because I tracked her over four hundred yards. But we all can kind of figure out that she just just never stopped. If she would have stopped, laid down, we probably she probably would have passed. She would have probably expired. But that's just how it works out. But uh, you know, I'm just happy that for your shot placement, everything worked out. So I'm going to lead into this next segue. It's like, where'd you shoot it at and how far did it run? Yeah. So I, I guess just to kind of finish up on what you talked about, I mean, that is the unfortunate or one of the few unfortunate things about being uh, a hunter, especially an archery hunter. I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but I mean, over my 35 year hunting career, I've probably lost, you know, a handful of deer. I mean, yeah, it's not a good feeling. Uh, but like you said, there's either two all two outcomes, either A, it wasn't a lethal hit, the animal's going to heal. I mean, you hear stories every year of, of people that have shot deer, and then they end up getting them again the next year, and part of their arrow is lodged in the animal, or the neighbor will shoot them. So I mean, th- that's either going to happen, or worst case, yeah, the animal may run off another three, 400 yards and expire, but circle of life, it's not going to go to waste. So I know it's... Uh, it's ammo for the uh, for the anti hunters, and we won't get off on that tangent. You know, it's it's, but it's just an unfortunate one of the few unfortunate things of being a being an outdoorsman and a hunter is that we can prepare, we can practice all year long, and and things happen, and and unfortunately we don't always have the the pot of gold at the end of the trail, but it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't discourage any of us. I mean, we 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 get back out, we practice more, we do everything right, and uh, and eventually we're going to get our get our venison in the freezer and that buck on a wall. So. Yeah, exactly. So fill so, us in on with your experience with uh, Houdini. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, January, we missed that deer. And at that point, the the rise bow site had not come out yet, which for any of our listeners that are familiar with that, that's a that's a two pin site that essentially has a second aiming point a half inch lower down from the uh, from the first one. So had I had a had I had a rise on my bow back then, you know, had I been full draw at 40 yards on this buck, my my second pin on my rise is 36. So I would have then just used my second pin, yeah. held that just a skosh high and probably made a much better shot on that buck back in January. But again, I don't, I'm not one to have regrets or, you know, everything happens for a reason. So uh, fast forward to, I think it was right around, right around 4th of July, I started, you know, getting pictures of deer on camera and instantly I, I knew that it was Houdini. I mean, I, I can send the picture to you to take a look at, but it was, you could tell that his bases were developed. He had all that junk and almost that crown of, of horns that he had before his main beams had sprouted uh, and just a very, very large deer. And I think it was about the middle of about the first or second week of November last year. I had a picture of him on my trail camera and I don't know if he was either shot by another hunter. I, I didn't get a picture of him in the daytime, but it was in the dark, but you could tell that the, his side had a, uh, almost a, a like a wet wound on it so he either got shot or he got gored you know maybe in a fight okay uh, and, and i could see that scar on his orange hide in june so so i definitely knew it was him between that and his and his antlers and the size of his bases you know knowing it was now this six and a half year old buck walking around so so at that point you know i, I was pretty sure cause, i mean it was two days before season ended in january that i had missed him so i knew that you know either he didn't die of old age or got hit by a car heaven forbid i knew he was still going to be around and so that that first trail cam photo in june confirmed it uh i think at that point we probably had a couple hha usa shoots under our belt already so i had been going back to my post-it note those four those four p words i was going to be better prepared this year uh i obviously had to be patient you know it was three plus years in the waiting for this year uh and you know i had to persevere a, a you know a missed shot it wasn't a you know, it wasn't uh, anything overly traumatic for me, but I mean, as hunters, we have to persevere. And, and then the practice piece of it, I mean, I was, I was practicing more than ever. I think I shot more arrows this year than I have the last two combined, just so that if that moment came up again, I would, uh, I would do a better job of executing it. So, uh, like I said, pictures of him all throughout the summer. And then, uh, with the, with the weather and the temps cooling down, I knew that there was going to be hopefully an opportunity to, to have him daylight early in the season and get a get a crack at him before you know that October lull if, if folks believe in that before that came along or before the rut kicked up and he he ran over to the neighbors so uh had him show up the Thursday before I killed him I, I there was a big temperature swing and I knew it was going to be a good night to be out hunting but uh had committed to go to our nephew's uh homecoming parade for uh he, he's a starting quarterback on the high school football team here and so my wife and I were at the parade and, and I joked with Jake my sales manager he's like you probably want to turn your cell cams off because you know Houdini's going to show up tonight and sure enough while I was at the parade five after six he showed up 25 yards in front of my blind right where I right where I missed him in January and so uh had a couple other things going on that weekend unfortunately I wasn't gonna be able to get out and hunt until Monday so that deer actually showed up in the daylight two other times that weekend i believe it was friday and sunday night he showed up on my on my big field on my south 80 uh so i knew he was up on his feet and, and still kind of in his summer patterns and then there was an opportunity there so uh monday night would have been the 26th of september i hunted that night in the same spot and i've got a really nice eight point he's either a, a really really nice three-year-old or a, or a four-year-old uh, probably an 18 inch wide deer, just a good, good buck that under normal circumstances had Houdini not been around, I would have, I would have shot this buck. He would have been my target buck for sure. Um, had him come out at 615, you know, 30 yards past him, saw a couple other small bucks and some, some does and fawns that night, uh, Friday night, um, sorry, Tuesday night, uh, just saw a small buck and, and a couple of yearlings. And then, uh wednesday night the night that everything went down i had this it was three nights in a row i had this this set of twins it was a buck and a doe fawn that would come out and they would they would literally come out of the bedding area and lay down in my bean field they would feed for 15 or 20 minutes and i had them two out of the three nights the night i shot houdini they actually both bedded down within 20 yards of my redneck line right in my beans and just sat there and hung out for about an hour and then they uh 
they both must have decided to get up and start walking back to the bedding area. And this was about six o'clock and it was a very quiet night. Uh, and it's about 50 yards across my, my bean plot to where the woods wood starts on the north side. And I heard a twig snap and the buck fawn looks. I looked at the same time and all I see is antlers sticking out of the brush. And, and I instantly knew that it was, that it was him. And this is the same spot that I had seen this deer, you know, four times in January. Uh, it was very close to his bedding area. He came out and I think I had him at 40 yards. Initially he was head on, obviously I'm not going to take that shot. And so I ranged him. Um, he took a few steps towards me. And then at that point he was now broadside. I ranged him again and he was at 35 yards and I rolled my sight to 35, had my release hooked up, was just getting ready to pick my bow up. And that patience word came to my mind. And I'm like, nope, you're going to wait. He's going to, he's going to get closer. And I mean, there was a, there was a risk involved in that. I mean, I had a good broadside shot at 35 yards, but you know, keep in mind, I'm in an enclosed box blind. The deer has no idea that I'm there. It's almost like he's feeding out in a, in a bean field in the middle of summer, clueless that I was there. So, um, unhooked my release, rolled my sight back to 20 yards and I waited. And it was probably, I don't want to say the longest five minutes of my life, but I mean, <laughs> try, trying not to stare at the antlers. I mean, I've got hundreds of pictures of this deer. I knew it was him. It's like, I, I can admire him when he's on the ground. Let's just wait until he, wait till he walks a little closer. And so he just started to feed down the woods line. And um, at that point, it was a debate if I was going to shoot him out of my, my long window out the front of my blind or one of the, you know, the horizontal, uh, the vertical window on the corner. And the way that he was walking, I knew that the, that vertical window was going to be the be the place for the shot. So I just turned ever so slightly on my chair and, uh, and I knew that that spot was 25 yards. So I hooked my release up again and just, just waited and waited. And he finally showed up and again, completely oblivious to the fact that I was there, he's broadside and now he's actually looking away from me. So, I mean, it's perfect, perfect opportunity. So I, I draw back, settle the pin on his vitals and I let the arrow go. And much to my surprise, I was, I was sitting by myself. I didn't, I don't, typically hunt with a cameraman but I almost wish I would have that night just to capture the expression on my face because the deer dropped in his tracks no kidding and I I mean I I you know I don't like to peek or try to see where my arrow went but I mean from everything I could tell I mean it was a 20 25 yard shot totally broadside um I, I was waiting for the arrow to pass through him for him to run off into the bedding area and, and crash to his, his demise, hopefully. And instead his rear end gives out from underneath him. And he, he was facing with his head to the right when I shot him and he basically did a 180. So now he's facing back the direction that he came from, but haunches on the ground and, and flailing and kind of crawling off, thrashing off into the, into the tall grass directly away from me. And and at that point, I was able to kind of see where the arrow had gone in, and I had good penetration. But I think what happened after after we ended up skinning him out is that my broadhead hit one of the ribs, and instead of going straight through, it kicked up, and it ended up severing his his spinal cord. No kidding. Uh, I mean, I I felt terrible, but again, what what do you what do you do? I did everything right by the book. I can't control what happens to the arrow once it hits the animal. Right. I mean, it should have just blown through, but instead it 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 deflected and, and severed his spinal column. So he was essentially paralyzed, couldn't go anywhere. Um and I was I was 95% sure that was the case. Um but after I after I quit shaking I had uh I quit texted my brother and 30 seconds later my phone rings and he's like you got him I'm like well I said I got an arrow in him but I said he basically dropped right in his tracks and he's the, the grass was pretty tall it was like waist high grass okay and at that point I, I never lost sight of him but I could not see any of his body at all all I could see was his antlers sticking up and looking back towards the line and uh so I talked to my brother briefly and we, we debated you know do I just back out and and let him expire or do I go over there and, and risk bumping him up if he truly isn't paralyzed and, and put another shot on him and, and uh, brief conversation. I mean, probably a couple minutes or less. And in that time, he tried to get up a couple more times. And I, I realized at that point, yeah, he he's not going anywhere and I've got to do my job as an ethical hunter and then get over there and, and put one more arrow in this deer and, and, and finally claim this, this deer that I've been after for three years, you know? And so that was uh 
that was what I did. I was able to to get over there and and give him a give him one more arrow to to finish him off. But what a what a shock to to have that happen. I mean, not not the way I saw it going down. I mean, per, perfect scenario, you know, is you you put a double lung shot on a deer like that and it runs fifty yards and tip over. That's that's what happened five years ago. The last time I shot a buck with a bow, I mean, twelve yards, heart shot, ran fifty yards. I heard him crash and he was dead in thirty seconds. But um, again, that's just one of the if there's another unfortunate thing about about archery hunting it's it's that is is having to you know put a second shot on a deer but i'm thankful that uh that he didn't get away you know i never lost sight of him and i was able to uh to take him home with me so that is the right philosophy though when you when you have a such situation like you encountered is to knock another arrow because listening to other people's experiences where they have had those scenarios where the animal is still not dispatched and you need to, you need to make sure you do it ethically. And it's like, when you listen to those from like Randy Newberg and those who gun hunt, like Steve Ornell and such, they all, they, they continue shooting until the animal is down because it's just part of, I guess the meaning of making sure that the animal is taken and it's, it doesn't suffer. And I think that's why we, as outdoorsmen are always encouraged to make sure you either you continue until the animal's down because it's like we don't want to have it suffer and that's what kind of separates us from animals to, to human beings that he, adding that sense of humility to the pursuit because Steve Rennell, I think it was first season or second season he shot a bull moose and it wasn't down that thing charged him and they had to sure. shoot it again. So it's like you, you now you're dealing with an animal that's 1,800 pounds charging you. And like, it's not uncommon from the for hunters to uh, get dispatched themselves because they decided to flip tail and come right at you. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, that wasn't the case with him. But what a, what a, what a, I don't know. I don't like to use the word epic, but it was a very, uh, uh, emotional conclusion to a, to a three year journey to be able to harvest this animal and, and, uh, there, there was a little bit of a ditch. It kind of drops down just maybe a foot or two where he had actually uh, crawled off to. And so he was, he was kind of down a couple feet in this ditch, tall grass. Um, and at that point I, I, you know, I called my brother back and, and said, you know, got the deer and he lives about 20 minutes from where I hunt. So he, he drove out and helped me, helped me get him out. And it was starting to get dark by that point. So we weren't able to get a ton of good pictures before, uh, before we lost light, we ended up taking some the next morning, but just getting that deer out of that ditch and, you know, 15, 20 yards out to where I could, could field dress him. It was a big deer. It was, it was the biggest deer that I've ever shot in my life as far as, uh, you know, as far as antler size and just body size and, and the largest deer that anybody's taken in our family. But I mean, it tipped the scales at 200 pounds. Wow. It, it was just a tank of a deer. And I mean, had it, hanging upside down the next morning to cape it out, you know, to get it to the taxidermist. And when I got the cape off the, the neck on that deer with the hide off, I, I've shot a lot of bucks that have had smaller necks with, with their hides on that then this one had, or, or I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this buck with his, with his hide off, I, I've shot bucks that have had smaller necks than that, if that makes sense. Yeah, with, I get it. Kind with, of like with, with, with the hide eye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, just a, a monstrous, monstrous deer. I mean, the folds in his neck. And I mean, he, I had pictures of him, I think on the 4th of September and, and he looked like a bear. I mean, he, he just, it was like, it was like a steer with horns. It almost made his rack look small. The deer was so big. It looked like he was reminded me of the Michelin man. He was just kind of inflated. And the fact that you got him so early in the season and he hadn't had a chance, he's like, so he wouldn't even had a chance to put on his winter weight yet. So he was prime condition. He, I mean, he was a fit athlete when it came down to it. For sure. And I mean, he would have, uh, you know, given another uh, 30 days, you know, if I would have gotten him on Halloween or, you know, that first week in November, chances are he would have run some of that weight off and maybe been down to, you know, 160, 170 pounds, but to be able to get him when he was still, still at his prime was, uh, it was a treat. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful coat on him, you know, his height is just, he's just like a seal with that early season hair. He hadn't yet had grown in a lot of his, his winter coat yet. So he's going to make a beautiful mount and just a, just a cool rack. He ended up having 14 scoreable points. Uh, I'm not big on, on score. I mean, it doesn't mean a heck of a lot to me, but Jake put a tape on him just because he and I are in the, uh, 
Uh, I think you know Ben Harrison from the Bow Hunting League. Oh you yeah, to meet him. So, so Jake and I and uh, and our buddy Caden got in as a as a trio this year as the as the Rise guys, not the Wise oh. guys, but we're the we're the Wise we're the Rise guys. And, Excellent. Uh, so Jake had to score him for that, but he taped him at one sixty nine, and I think one sixty nine and five ace or one sixty nine and three ace. I mean, he's a he's a beautiful, beautiful buck, and it's just like I said, still kind of trying to soak it all in and and the coolest part to me i mean I, I love coming on here in this podcast but with being a christian i uh i joined the christian bow hunters of america probably three years ago i'm a life member there and they're a they're a grassroots organization they've been around since the 80s you know they they promote uh faith in christ through the sport of archery uh based out of new york and i'm really good friends with their uh their current director merle fredericks and they're they're constantly looking for stories and success photos and things like that so so this fall, that's my that's my task is to write this story of Houdini uh, and, and present it to Christian Bowhunters of America so they can put it in uh, in their magazine this winter. And I'm looking forward to doing that and just how uh, th- th- this deer has taught me a lot about life. I look at those four words, you know, patience, practice, perseverance, and uh, and preparation. I mean, it, it it wasn't just about a deer. That, that wasn't what God was trying to tell me back in January when I missed him. There's a there's a much deeper meaning to to the the track that I took to get this animal and uh and I'm excited to see what uh what he's going to reveal to me when I write that essay on this deer that is going to be interesting to to, to read because it's like you very you you articulate very well in the written word and so I'm looking forward to reading the article as well that that then having it spotlighted there but yeah I, I I just had Ben and uh Matt Powell on the podcast here a couple weeks ago we went live and stuff like that he was like the second podcast ever went live with and we had a really good conversation we talked about like what all their growth that they got going on and such so i didn't know that you caden and jake got in there because uh into the in part of the contest because it's like they they're they're those two men have developed such a fun product and such a good wholesome community that it's just definitely taken not taken the the country by storm people donating bows and mounts and it's just it's just remarkable on what they've been able to accomplish and hitting 40 some thousand followers in their group and such it's just it's impactful what they've done and they they, they even have some fun offshoots that they're going to plan as well no they have a great platform i want to say that i met ben probably well he was up at an hha usa shoot last year but i think we've been partnered with them for at least two or three years now almost since their inception and just great great guys great platform and uh i mean i i don't care if we win anything out of this it's just kind of a cool thing in a competition between jake and i and caden to to uh you know see if we can put some nice deer on the ground and then then be a part of that community that they started but no it's uh it's cool it's uh it was a little i want to say the week after was a little disappointing because i mean getting getting cell cam picks to my phone a half dozen times a day. It's like, Oh, I wonder if Houdini showed up yet. Well, now he's gone. And it's yeah. like, it's almost like I've lost a friend, even though I now have him, you know, for, for life he's going to be on my wall and I'm going to have that permanent memory. It's like now the, now the chase is over and uh, you know, it would be very easy to be like, well, what's, what's next. Everybody's like, what are you going to do now? And I, you know, I do have three doe tags for here. So as a, as a responsible sportsman, I want to do some herd management and hopefully get a couple does here this fall. And, um, you know, if that eight point is still around during rifle season, great. He'll be my, he'll be my target buck. But if not, you know, I probably won't shoot a buck with my gun, but, uh, the, the exciting thing is, is, you know, what else is going to show up? Cause I mean, for three years, he was the, he was the big kid on the playground and Correct. now he's gone. And even though this eight point is a good deer, I don't, I wouldn't call him a dominant deer. So I'm, I'm very excited to see over the next, you know, four to six weeks as the rut picks up and, and these deer start expanding their home ranges a little bit. Good chance that another mature deer from, you know, half mile, mile, mile and a half down the road is going to move in and go, Hey, there's nobody here to, to push me around. I think I kind of like it here. You know, this guy's got food, he's got bedding, he's got water, he's got ladies. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. So, so I'm excited just to see what, uh, what shows up on my farm over the next couple months here up, you know, leading up to gun season. And, uh, but for now, I'm just going to kind of enjoy the, enjoy this, this moment because, you know, this, it's taken me 35 years to shoot a deer of this caliber that this might be the only one like this I ever get. So I'm not a, I'm not a braggart. I'm not a, you know, I put a couple pictures of it on social media, but ultimately, you know, God's going to get all the glory for this harvest because if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't happen. So I'm just excited to, uh, to share the gospel through uh through a big deer and and see what's next so 
definitely. We had this conversation last year when you shot that that one buck, and you felt kind of um, you felt differently when you, when you when you when you started talking about it, like and how that uh, buck chain gave you perspective about shooting Houdini and such. Now it's like everything, all that hard work and preparation is just remarkable. And what I wanted to find, like we could, because we, I want to talk time, take a little bit of time to talk about the tactics that you that you did. It was like when you when you got into, because I mean, this is a mature buck, and it's like a six and a half year old is no joke when it come kind of comes down to uh, the uh, the white teal world here. So, what, did you play the wind in this scenario, and uh, and kind of give us some tactics that you when you step foot out of your truck into into onto the field and getting out to your blind, what were some of the things that you pay attention to so this way then you you give you give yourself the opportunity to the most success? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, uh, and I mean, I'm not a I'm not an expert by any means. This is the first you know mature buck that I've really killed beyond that one that I got with my rifle three years ago. So I'm not not a not a guru at all. And I mean, I have a lot of friends that that consistently harvest mature deer. So I've learned a lot from them over the years um, and employed a lot of their tactics. But I mean, the, the biggest thing is just having minimal penetration on your land. If you're, if you're fortunate enough to have private land, you know, set aside a sanctuary. I've got 160 acres and I don't think, I, I'm going to say probably... 30 to 35 of that is, is farmland, whether it be alfalfa or corn or soybeans. So, I mean, let's say 25% of it's tillable. I've got an eight acre pond. So, I mean, I might have a hundred acres of woods and out of that hundred acres, you know, I've got six, six blinds on that hundred acres, but I don't think in the course of a given spring, summer, fall, leading up to archery season, I might've been out there a dozen times this year. Um, you know, cell cams are huge now because, you know, I, I only live 15 minutes from my property. I don't have to have cell cams because my farm is eight hours away. I just like them for the minimal impact that they have on the ground. I mean, I wear rubber boots anytime I go into the woods. Uh, scent is a huge thing with whitetails, as anybody that's hunting them at all knows, especially when you get into a mature deer like that. So the minute the minute that a mature buck knows that you're there and that he's being hunted, he's probably going to be gone. And so just having that minimal impact on my property and then you know, kind of basically just hunting the fringes. Cause I mean, I've got bedding area on my land. Houdini was bedded on my land for the last three years. That was his home base. And so I wouldn't doubt that I shot him maybe 200 yards from his bed. So, I mean, that night I, I did play the wind. I mean, I, I believe we had a, I'd have to look back, but I think we had a North wind that night. I mean, he came directly from the North of me. So, I mean, he was, he was straight up wind when I shot him. I, you know, I do wear some, uh, some scent protectant clothing and, and spray myself down. And then I'm hunting out of a ground blind too. So, you know, enclosed box blinds. So, I mean, I'm able to keep my scent down as well. So I, I try to do everything right. If that is considered right in people's eyes, as far as, you know, scent control and then just minimal, minimal penetration on the land and just kind of, kind of hunting smart. I mean, it doesn't take, I mean, that was the third sit of my season. It, you know, I think back to 2020, um, Gosh, I because I keep a spreadsheet and then log all my sits on it. I think I hunted 60 or 65 times that fall between archery and gun season to try to get that deer. Um didn't educate any of my any, any of my animals. I mean, I again just being smart going in and out, um, you know, and playing the wind right, hunting the right locations on the right nights. But uh, I mean, that's to, to me, that's the that's the big thing is just just having that minimal penetration and setting aside that that sanctuary because I started doing that gosh, probably six or seven years ago before we acquired our other 80. And I have, you know, about 20 acres of, of my, my South 80 that I just don't go in. I, I do not go in there unless I have to trail a deer in it. And I might take one or two passes through there in the winter to look for sheds. But other than that, that's their, that's their bedroom. I don't go in there. So, and the deer know that. And I mean, it, uh, it definitely reflects that in the, not only the numbers of deer that I have, because I think deer know that they're safe on my property. So they come there, I obviously have food for them as well, but they have that, that sanctuary. Um, and it's, it's obviously not reflected in the quality of the animals that I have too. So. That's a smart way to do it. You know, I, I've hunted public or private land before I moved to Wisconsin. We, as a group, there's several of us that hunt the property. 
at different times of the year. We all kind of kind of had a sanctuary area for them so that we would not step foot in. And then having that communication between everybody was smart. But it's like I like that approach. I always like because this way then you're you're keeping the deer on your property and you're able you you kind of have an inventory of what's going on in your in your neck of the woods because you can only affect so much what you can do. And I find that is a swell idea to be able to do that because you provided them everything they want to do. But now it's like you're you're continue growing the uh, the whitetail community in your area because obviously deer are going to move move on to other parts of the area of where you hunt at and live but providing that sanctuary it just it it uh, per, just the investment yields positive results over the next few years for sure yeah and i've seen that you know i mean i think the first <clears throat> you know, 25 years of my hunting career, I might've put a half dozen bucks on the wall and I've put that many on the wall in the last half dozen. So, I mean, I've, I'm really starting to see the fruit of, you know, 20 years of doing this now. Cause I think my dad bought the property from his uncle back in the late nineties. Um, and I didn't get really, really serious about, you know, quality management and, and working my land probably up until about 2014, 2015, and then being able to acquire this, this neighboring 80. And I basically have 160 acres to myself, my neighbor's for the most part are all really good about, you know, quality deer management. I mean, that some people will argue, well, it's, it's good. It's bad. It's indifferent, but I mean, uh, you know, they, they want to harvest mature deer for the most part as well. Uh, and so, so it's nice to be able to know that, you know, the, the neighbors are kind of on the same page. So even though I've only got 160 acres, you know, there's a neighboring 80, there's a 40 and this guy's doing that as well. So collectively as a group, we're able to, uh, to kind of raise some good deer and, and, you know, hopefully harvest the the fruits from it for a lot of years to come oh definitely that is a that is a right way to look at it yeah i just um just to kind of elaborate to continue with the conversation i just got back from a five-day trip for out there lake okoboji and these guys have been going out there oh 20 years 25 years as, as a whole group anywhere ranging from nine to 20 guys going out there over the last couple of years they've had to slim it down just because the place where they go, the cabins they rent out have been booked up. They're like these, they've because uh, what ended up happening in 2020, like everybody value didn't recognize how valuable the time was and and spending that time outdoors and the facility that they rent these cabins from have all, have been booked up consistently. So now they have to pick and choose on on who can come and who can't go. But uh, we were out there and we spent. I mean, my face is just windburn from out there because we dealt with a couple of days of 15 to 20 mile an hour wind gust out there in lake okoboji but we we end up coming home with between nine guys so those the get don't get too upset we caught between bluegills crappies yellow bass uh pike walleye so we have a variety of fish to choose from but we end up coming home i think between us we all of us came home with one limit of crappies and then a bunch of yellow bass and yellow bass are like, they're just all over the place. They reproduce the, like rabbits. They're just crazy how fast they, they churn uh, out um, new, um, new spawns every year. But it was just absolutely amazing. My dad and I fished every single day except for Sunday. And because we, we were all just kind of tore up from the day before because Saturday was a bit rough, but we ended up uh, catching two, three, four, just shy of 500 fish. Wow. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good trip. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I take advantage of these like most people would I normally would be focusing on hunting, but you and I have had this like we've had, we've talked about stories about our fathers and stuff like that and it's like and still having him around. I just want to take I take as much time as I possibly can with him cuz he's going to be 70 this year and he's still up and going and I think I'm being invited back to Okaboji in May, but it's one of those things where it's like I'll, I will gladly sacrifice five days out of my uh, uh, whitetail season to go spend time with him and all the guys and such. And I got in there and we filleted up fish. There were, we had one night we had six guys filleting fish. We caught a little, almost just shy of three hundred fish in one one day, and we're just flying them all up. I took a lot of pictures and it's just good to see that type of camaraderie and that brotherhood that that uh, has established and keeping friends for that many years and dedicating them all of them because all of them hunt to all of them fish that they want to be able to get together twice a year and do this stuff no that's that's awesome that's what that's what hunting and fishing in the outdoors is all about is having that that camaraderie and i mean even though i hunt my property you know 
by myself. I mean, my brother has his own property that he hunts. And so, I mean, thanks to the modern technology of uh, cell phones and texting, you know, we're always on the stand and, Hey, what are you seeing? And, you know, he shoots a deer, I go over and help him and vice versa. And it's just, it's, uh, and my cousin Barry, which I, I think you might've met my cousin Barry Ham. He, uh, he's one of our volunteers for HHA USA, but he, he hunts on the 40 just to the South of us. So uh, that, that 153 that I got a couple of years ago, he and his cousin were able to come and help me retrieve that. And then the, the buck that I shot last year during rifle season that I was kind of having buyer's remorse on that he reminded me, Hey, this is the, this is the deer that God had planned for you to shoot. So Correct. just be happy with it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, thankful, thankful for, for memories like that, because, you know, as much as I love hunting and in the outdoors, I mean, there's a, there's a grander, grander scheme and an underlying theme to just being out there in nature. And I mean, they always, you know, you'll, you'll see posts on social media. Well, I'm, I'm 20 feet closer to God today. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's where I go to, to kind of just get away from things and get out of the, the chaos of the, of the world and, and just really unpack. And it seems like it's a, it's a simpler, simpler time, you know, even though I've got my cell phone with me, heaven forbid, if something should happen, it's just nice to get out there and unplug and, and just see the, see the sun coming up or the sun going down and seeing, seeing all of God's creation scurrying about and, and chase these, these crazy critters that we, uh, we all get so excited to do. Yeah, exactly. I like the, living in bluff country here is like, you, I don't always get the best reception. So it's like, it purposely forces me to focus on what's going, going around my, around my surroundings to like paying attention to the chipmunks and the squirrels and uh, watching the whitetails come through the does and such. But, it is nice to be able to have that, that separation from technology, but also just having that lifeline, just in case if something bad happens to yourself. It is. And I mean, that's, that's one thing I don't like about cell phones. I wish I was not on mine as much as I am. And I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy of probably being on it too much in the, in the woods. But one thing I've done, you know, I've got a backpack I take in with me. So I've got a Bible in there and I've got a book from, uh, from a guy by the name of Steve Chapman called uh, look at life through the deer stand. And it's, it's a bunch of just little short stories with the, with a gospel verse in each one of them. And I've, I've made it a habit to, to read that book the last couple, couple falls in the deer stand. And so I, I, I've, I have a bunch of extra copies. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to get one of those to you here before you start embarking on your, uh, the rest of your fall. Cause I think you'd really enjoy it. That'd be excellent. Yeah. I've, I've actually taken a, at this point, I spent a lot of my time catching up on podcasts. Like I listened to you and Ben, uh, you and, and David Garrett so far that I've caught up on. And it was, it's just, it's, it's way I can kind of catch up on friends that I haven't, that I don't get to see very often or talk to and listening to those podcasts were, were, were just a, kind of like a, a highlight. Cause it's like, you know, listening to David Garrett's pro progress on his whole thing and like listening to his story and how you guys communicated and such like that and how he's progressing. I mean, he's already got one podcast released. I told him I really liked the green room. I think, I think that's, or stuck in the green room. I think that's a very good catchy title, especially learning the history behind it. And yep. uh, he, we were talking last week about he was having some technical issues. And I think we, I think he's kind of come to the conclusion he's going to have to buy himself a new laptop. Then I listened to Ben's and stuff like that, and listening to his story about him and his wife and then having everybody come to my place on May. And uh, I was listening to him. I was like, I didn't tell him like the, the, the walls were thin. No, it's like, no, I mentioned to him like the, no, the, the house gets loud. And it's like, and that's one thing was we, we've experienced last year and this year. So it's like, I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's like, how do I make my dining room quieter? Cause it's like, it echoes and having that high peak ceiling, it just reverberates and just gets really, really loud. So it's, it gets to be too much. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, yeah, we're not going to let too many cats out of the bag, but if the, if the invitation is open again next year, I think we might, uh, we might still be coming back to your neck of the woods for an HHA USA shoot. So we, uh, we always love the hospitality and the camaraderie. So hopefully we can make that happen again in 2023. Oh, plan at hundred percent. I'll be looking forward to it. This like, that's one of my favorite, like, having last year or the the first year doing it with everybody come over and then then last year it's like i really look forward to this as an an annual as an annual thing because it's like it really allows me to to, to dig deep and challenge myself to the next cut of meat that i want to do and it's like being able to to because you heard it well after everybody started eating it was just quiet dude. it was like everybody cleared their plates it was just absolutely amazing feeling because i've always found that like with my calling to cooking and it's like i think that's god's way of telling me it's like this is your way of bringing people together and being able to execute and bring everybody to share stories and, and give each other grief it's just kind of a very rewarding thing to have and these are just small things to have it's like this way of um 
maximizing each year to its potential. Cause I've noticed like this, this 2022, I have been busy since snow melted nonstop going. Like uh, it's either, either doing something with HJ USA, traveling with relatives, uh, going fishing, going hunting. It's like, I really like having my life being so full because if you don't do anything, it's like you'll you'll wreck you'll see all these years pass by you and they seem very empty. And it's like I find myself being very full. Yeah, and there is a there is a there's a little bit of a danger with that. There's a balance if you get too busy. At least I found myself personally, you know, with owning a business, having a podcast, having a nonprofit, being married, having a family life. I mean, there's a there's definitely a a balance there, and you have to keep everything in its right, rightful place. Correct. But, uh, and, and I think hopefully what and, and we're, we're kind of derailing from the Houdini conversation here. I think we've kind of wrapped that up and we can finish Correct. off HHA USA. But, uh, you know, I, I just put a post out today that, uh, you know, we, we, we've got we basically have three or four events that, that are going to take place in Wisconsin next year. And we, we have talked about expanding nationally. That, that's going to happen. But as and it happens more times than not, I, I'm very, very guilty of wanting to do things my way and my way and God's ways are two completely different things. So uh, I'm still probably 30 days away from fully pulling the, pulling the cover off on the 2023 schedule. But uh, I have to get together with our, uh, our good friend, Chad Kleifkin from Toma Warren's and, and start hammering out some dates with him. But it's looking like we're going to, we're going to be going back there and going back to Wisconsin Rapids, which is where the banquet was last year. And then uh, unfortunately we're, we're, walking away from some of the other clubs that have hosted our shoots here for the last few years, just because we're getting into some different parts of the state where we've been, you know, continually getting, getting calls for, and then hopefully, a, hopefully a couple out of, out of the, out of the state events. One of them uh, definitely going to be a big, hopefully a public event and then possibly a private event that could really, really be a, I hate to use the word game changer for HHA USA in our future, but kind of leveraging some of my connections in the outdoor industry and the, and the sporting world for hopefully something really, really special that we can, we can announce in the next couple months here. So just a lot of, a lot of cool stuff happening, but yeah, I can't thank you enough for opening up your doors and using your, your talents as a chef. Cause that, uh, that that's a meal that I always look forward to on the HHA USA trail is going to Jeff's house. It's like, yeah, he's going to do something good. And, and, and all of that chatter is going to go down to nothing when the, when the food comes out of the smoker. Oh, amen to that. And then one thing that uh, Tyson mentioned to me in passing is like, you just let him know. So this way, cause I think he's on the board for Blackhawk archers down there in Iowa, let him know what your schedule is. So this way, then he can plan his schedule there and make sure he can attend more events up there in Wisconsin. Cause it's like, he, he wants to make sure that we're both on the same page. Also Brian Austin too. Cause it's like, he's always a busy man. So it's like, including those guys in a the conversation they're like uh, they, they'll drive more people over, but then it's like, cause this way then he can figure out how to plan their events around. Cause they like, they really enjoy going the extra mile and coming and spending time with all of us no it is just it's a great family that we have uh have built over here over the last few years and and you were a big part of that i mean i was just talking to uh to travis rigstead on the phone yesterday and he's the one that originally connected us and i just thanked him for that that connection again and just how you know great of friends you and i have become and it's 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 special. It's it's a very special community that we have, and I'm I'm glad that you're a part of it, and appreciate everything that you do for the for the outdoor and the veteran community. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, as a closer then for those that uh, that know me, that uh, I do do the stand down event. I've been doing it now for the last six seven years. It's this weekend. It's Friday. This podcast will come out tomorrow, so it'd be perfect timing for it. But anybody that's in the Illinois area that wants to volunteer reach out to me because we're always looking for more volunteers. I know with COVID it's like kind of throw some different regulations in the, in the mix, but we're always looking for volunteers to help out the homeless veterans in the Peoria, Illinois area. Uh, we're looking at, we're forecast to see anywhere between 350 to 400 veterans in, in, a, in a five County area that'll be busing in. And some of the key aspects is a warm meal, getting them warm clothes, toiletries, sleeping bags, boots. Even if you can't show up, at least donate, and I can get you in touch with the people that be if you'd want to donate necessary um, uh, clothing lines, stuff like that, or like other other things that may be missing. That would be fantastic. Or if you want to donate money, I'll get you in touch with my mother-in-law because she has been the – Oh, she has been the leader of this whole entire thing. It's probably the reason why she hasn't retired yet is because of her passion to help out veterans. 
No, and that's awesome. That's one of the things that I, I picked up on with you is, you know, shortly after we met, I mean, you are just, you're a, you're a humble servant. You're, you're my kind of people. And yeah, you've got your own platform, but it's not about Jeff Vance. It's about, it's about everybody else. And I just, I, I love and appreciate that about you, my friend. Thank you. And we've all both all can sit, talk, can we all have mutual friends like David Wooten, how archery and the outdoors save people lives. You know, like we've, we've uh, heard conversations where people are about ready to uh, eat a bag of uh, bag of beans is one of the code words that I learned from Ryan from one of his podcasts, but it's like getting folks out uh, outside helps try to eliminate the 22 a day and being 2022. It's like, it's, it's really sends home. And it's like my entire world, like working with the company I deal with, we we're very focused on mental health aspects of it. And it's great to see that uh, we have all these open hearts that want to include everybody as much as possible because with Travis's recent loss and, and that one gal we talked about on your podcast that um, got the, her demons got the best of her. It's just, it's just good for those out there. But again, again, it's like reach out to folks, call them, text them, let them know that you're, you're here to listen to them, especially if they've, if they're first responder, police force, retired vet, or even someone that's gone through a traumatic experience. Yeah, they're just it doesn't really take a lot to to make a big difference in somebody's life. I I, I look, you know, Al Quackenbush is, is probably my best friend on the on the planet. And I mean, he and I know that we spend too much time on our phones every day and we start tracking our our screen time daily and we'll share that we with each other on a weekly basis. And it's like it's just an accountability thing. I mean, when you look at how much time we spend on those devices every day, what does it take to, you know take two minutes to, to send a text to that person that, that just comes to mind. Oh yeah, I should, I should check in on Jeff and see how he's doing, or I should check in on Al that, that, that 30 second text message can, can literally save somebody's life. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know uh, when things start loosening up in uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, I reach out to people like what I'm doing along drives is just myself. I'll reach out to them and call, give them a call and ask, and ask them how they doing, how they do, how they how did 2020 treat them? How did 2021 treat them and such? And letting them know that somebody's out there to, Hey, I'm here to talk. And I got, got a lot of hours between me and my destination. Like I'll, I will listen to whatever you got going on. No, that's uh that's great stuff. I do the same. I don't travel as much as I used to, but being fortunate enough to be self-employed, I have a lot of, a lot of time during the day where I don't have things to do on my to-do list. So, I mean, my, my phone line's always open and and I, I I love having those conversations because I I feel at times that I get as much, if not more, out of them than the than the person on the other end of the line. Cause I mean it just it it brings joy to my heart to know that we can impact people in that way. So Amen to that, Chris. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, telling us the the legacy of Houdini. And I think people are going to appreciate the the history behind the mount and the memory that it will instill and for why we get out and do what we do and the conservation that we do. And, and because of like, I want to throw give a shout out to the Pittman Robertson act that was passed in 1937. It generates annually $1.1 billion. It's because us as hunters love the outdoors and, and the sportsmanship that's in the world is why we have the abundance we do have. No, I agree. And with as much uh, pushback and, and things that, that, you know, our country is trying to undo as sportsmen, we need to be, we need to be out there and, and outspoken in a, in a positive way and, and to continue to advance our sport, you know, through getting new people involved in it and just celebrating the traditions of, you know, like you talked, going on those hunting and fishing trips with, with dad and his friends and just continuing to put that out there for for the next generation so that uh that you know 100 years from now these these podcasts are still going on and there's still still houdini stories and, and fishing stories amen sir well thank you for coming on the podcast i'll let you go appreciate you jeff we'll uh, we'll be seeing you soon buddy thank you